Hello and welcome to Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I reached out to Mei Mei. She's a sculptor who uses found objects and felting techniques to produce beautiful sculptured work of hybrid creatures. We talk about her work, her start into sculpting, and her felting classes. So, with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. First question is a hard-hitting question right out of the box. Uh, <laughs> who are you and how did you get your start in art? Right. So my real name is uh, Marta, Marta Corada. I'm from Spain and I basically started being interested in art. So thinking about myself as a well, someone who likes arts and wants to know a bit more about it. When I was um, 16, so before I went to university, and I, I went to the arts college, arts and design college, and that's how everything started, basically. I did those two years, it's some kind of like an A-level kind of degree. And then from there, you know, I, I was thinking about going to study photography. Then at the end, my drawing teacher convinced me that I should do fine arts. <laughs> Those were the best years of, I think, or at least the most fun years <laughs> of my life so far. So <laughs> it was really, really cool. No, it was great. Uh, it was a very uh, old-fashioned university, to be honest. Uh, really stuck in the past, like, you know, learning and anatomy, copying marble statues, you know, all that kind of classic art all the rules of composition, the light, how the colors work, color theory, super, super academic in yeah. that way. <laughs> Nothing digital. So imagine that, like Leonardo da Vinci could have gone there. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, we were a bit in a bubble, really, because when we, you know, when we came out of that bubble, the wall wasn't, Nothing like it. Couldn't even present my last project uh, in, a, in a disc, you know, for, this, for a computer because it had computers. Oh, wow. So that was, yeah, no, no. Your university did not have a, one computer for you guys to use to, oh, wow. They had, there was one room, which yeah. was called the computer's room or something, but yeah. it was that kind of room where you have to ask for a code to go in and it was just open a couple of hours per week. It wasn't a very really available no i mean geez it wasn't <laughs> wow. like other places uh, where you could always go it was like yeah. you you had like a time limit to use the computers you know that kind of stuff well right uh, but but you know so i had to take my own laptop and show them but that <laughs> that's just to put you into context yeah. so my <laughs> so yeah so so basically my my the way i learned was really uh hands on pretty much like material and filling the material and uh, observing what's around you. And like, then the only different, let's say, subject that I really, really got into was photography. But again, it wasn't digital. It was all film. And that was for about like four years. That's what I did. And then I studied photography apart from, from my um, degree in, in fine arts. And I was working for you know singers theater and so i was i always liked that kind of aesthetic uh, of out of context kind of scenes basically 
kind of kind of like with that unreal uh, environment. And yeah. I always really, really loved that feeling of creating something that is a little bit out of this world, even if it's photography. So I really enjoyed working with actors and all that, theaters, dancers, uh, um, yeah, in theaters with dancers. And with, I was really cool. I was in Spain, in Barcelona. And then I just started developing my photography more and more and more and more. And then I created my own, yeah, my, my own work, very, very personal work. And that's what I've been doing ever since until I discovered my current work, which is, you could, you could call it sculpture or textile sculpture. And then the photography or obviously plays a, a big role there because I am the photographer of the sculptures and the way you photograph the pieces is extremely important. So everything is kind of coming up together. Mm-hmm. How did you get the nickname Maymay? I was for an art residence in, in Shanghai just a couple of months or three months mm-hmm. in back in 2012. And people use that, some not everyone, but some people use that nickname for me. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoyed that. I like I like that, you know? I like to be called in a different way. I, 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 liked, uh, I like the sound of it. I like, I like the meaning of it as well. It's kind of, it means different things in different places, I guess, in China, but it's something related to a lovable kind of person, lovable, or in some places means like little sister. Oh. In some places means like uh, beautiful or, but it's, in essence, it's something that, or at least it makes me feel like, you know, when someone called me that, it's like, oh, I felt that they cared about me or something. And it made me feel really good. I felt welcome. And then okay. I just thought, I'm going to use this nickname because, uh, uh, new uh, alter ego, new aspect yeah. of my work, and right, and uh, yeah, and I decided to adopt that name. So, uh, uh, so Mei Mei actually is a translation from Chinese, the meaning like little sister. Is that what that am yeah. I? Oh wow, I didn't know that. See, I learned something <laughs> new today. Yeah, but again, you know, like I'm not. I mean, Chinese. Well, it's a really complex country with different, different. Yes, it you is. You know, like uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, in different places maybe has different connotations and things like that but this information was given to me by chinese people so, right uh, they're like i'll run uh, with it okay <laughs> it's not a bad uh, thing but yeah, yeah i mean cute as well but i think the main reason is the way it made me feel like yeah it was uh, you know well, like you a know, nice way to 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 be treated and well i wanted to comment on one photo that i saw of yours it looks like it was a pub all these guys were basically it looked like every single one of them were posed but yes. in different spots it felt like it was a time frozen and i, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that, looking at that it's like this is like you mm-hmm. can almost see every little story that these guys had like some of them were waiting to get in others were one guy was like having a drink fall over so it's like oh he's probably had too much so it, it i really enjoyed that and then of course mm-hmm. with, with your sculpture i just love the use of negative space that you use <laughs> and it really shows i guess because of the photography of it but it yes. really i love the negative space as well you're you're right. You're right. I mean, it's, it's it's a massive influence. I don't think I would have been able to all that photography practice and in in the way that I did it, uh, because I I used a lot of uh, state photography, but not but in indirectly, not directly. Basically, it was post produced to give it that effect. Yeah. And then so you you train your eye, you train your brain. And, and that's, that's been a really, really uh, big influence in my, my current work. 
so it's an, a, a job experience I had when I was in Spain before coming to London. Because now I live, uh, so I, I came to London, uh, I think it was eight years ago, maybe. Wow. And yeah, yeah, London. Um, so uh, that was when the crisis really hit, like, like, it was really hard to get any job, basically. Yeah. So uh, uh, I found a little job during summer to save some money before coming to London. And I was decorating cakes. Uh, so, you know, icing cakes, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, uh, designing ta- dessert tables for, you know, post kind of people and stuff like that. And that had a really, really massive influence as well in my current work. The way, yeah, yeah, the 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 way you uh, work with uh, decoration in food and and the the way you cover the cakes with the icing and that gave me ideas to actually work on the surface of my sculptures and the color blending and yeah, yeah, has a lot of influence (laughs) in my work actually. And the way that they look yummy, you know, that something looks like (laughs) yeah. uh, And then I like the sculptures to look a little bit. uh, attractive in that way as well like they could be eatable yeah i well i would be scared to eat one of them because they might come back to (laughs) scare me in my dreams but i see what you mean they do kind of look yummy kind of you know like the sweet kind of yeah so that's something that yeah is there so how did you get into the felting of it and if you could explain for some people who may not know what felting is, how did you get alert into that? Yes, yeah, so actually it was because of my photography, because uh, I used to make a living out of uh, well, working as a photographer for, uh, well, different clients. But normally they were always, um, you know, like linked to, uh, well, design or art for art galleries or for uh, art events. Things like that. And then one day I, I had to photograph a Japanese artist who was running this uh, workshop. Just It was like a social, it's, it's a really nice gallery here in London. They have a social uh, program uh, apart from the art, more kind of not market related, but more like pure art. Yeah. And it's really nice. And then I used to photograph all those events. Yeah. And then this artist, he was running a uh, wet felt workshop. Hmm. And I was just fascinated by it. I remember taking those photos and the colors were so vibrant. I really, really loved the way the material made me feel and think. Uh, the way the figures that you make or whatever it is that you're making take shape. You know, I've always done clay or other types of more um, traditional, you know, uh, ways of modeling and doing sculpture right but the way the way the wool works is just amazing it's really really cool and then i from there i just started you know sort of practicing on my own uh opposite my studio i found a really really nice shop here in london where they sell all these fiber materials wool and all that and i just got a few colors and i just started practicing on my own and that was it I and, and you were hooked into that yeah, you yeah. got like, oh, this is awesome. So with the felting, do you do the dyeing first of the felt and then you comb it? Or or is it like, how, how does that yeah. process work? So, um, well, I, I don't know, but for, well, some people won't know what felt is or felting is. So I can just explain briefly. So the material I use is wool, basically, is merino wool. And felting is 
a process, the process that you use to felt the wool. So to create, you can create, well, basically hats tend to be made of wool. Uh, it's, it's a great material for clothes, you know, right. sort of winter clothes and things like that. But it's been used in many, many different things as insulation for, you know, just different uh, different purposes. And, um, right. and then there are the two different main processes for felting. So to transform those loose fibers into a more solid kind of material, let's say. And so the one is wet felting and the second one is needle felting. The one I use is needle felting. Uh, wet felting is, as I said, briefly consists in uh, rubbing the fibers with soap and water. Hmm. And what it does is like, it helps the fibers to sort of tangle up together and the soap releases the grease or the fat from the fibers oh. and kind of they slowly, slowly become all one piece. And then you can shape it in different ways, etc. You can shampoo it, basically. <laughs> You're just shampooing yeah, the hair. Yeah, that is yeah, exactly. That's why sometimes uh, they, if you wash uh, wool, you shouldn't really take it in the... Well, anyway. That, right, uh, let, yeah, let's shrinks, not get into the technical. The, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and then I use a needle felt, which is a completely different process, which is, uh, in essence you use a needle that has incisions in it. Mm -hmm. And then every time you stab the bunch of uh, wool working with, you are pushing the fibers in. And then when you pull the, you know, the needle out, you are kind of tangled up the fibers with your needle. That's that's the way you, you know, you use to transform the shape uh, of the wool. The thing is that with one needle, it's really, you know, it's a slow process. So I use a few needles. I use like some tools where you can combine a few needles and then like you can do the, the work a little bit quicker. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Extremely slow. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah, I, that sounds like you have to have patience. A lot of patience with that. Yes. Do you stab yourself a lot? (laughs) A lot, yeah. Yeah. It's super painful, actually. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, When I do my woodblock carving, I'm left-handed, so my right hand is, there's a lot of, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Injuries from when I had the knives hit my fingers. Oh, just thinking about it's making me hurt. Ah. (laughs) I know. Just thinking about you. Oh, oh. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Just got chills down my back from that. (laughs) Now it's a little bit better. At the beginning, I used to stop my you know, fingers quite a lot. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> now, nowadays I wear like a, a leather thick glove on my right hand. So. I do as well sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you basically made this transformation. You fell in love with the felting of it all. And then you started to come up with these other elements. When when you make these sculptures, mm-hmm. you talk about collecting objects and dolls and it's important to your process. How's the, the collection of doll heads or, or other material kind of feed into this process of making your sculptures with with, with felt? Uh, well, that's a uh, key, I think, in all, the whole story, because uh, one part would be the material itself, which is 50% of the work, because the material is, you know, absorbs the light. It makes this kind of optical effect. Like, you, you see the color in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's not like when you paint something, kind of see the surface but it almost feels like you're you can see how solid it is it's kind of it's different it's just very different the way you perceive the the color so so that's one main aspect and then the the other main aspect we could say is the found objects if you want to say so but uh, they are found and they are selected and they are also transformed and so those objects it's something that I've always liked just I've always 
felt almost sort of humanized the objects, not humanized them, but I always, I could always see how beautiful an object is. And I immediately add a lot of value to that object that most people wouldn't. Yeah. So, so it calls to you basically. Yes. And I just need to have it. And I, I the way, <laughs> the only reason that I don't have more stuff is because I've moved so many times from house to house and all that. It just doesn't make sense. But yeah. I would have just everything. And then the, the way you display the objects, you know, that, that the, you make compositions with the objects and they uh, mean different things. They, it depends on if this object is close to this one or is more separated or is above or below or all that. And that, I've been doing that pretty much my whole, not my whole life, but even when I was a kid, I used to collect those little figures that you get in kinder eggs yeah. you know those and then i had them all on display and and you know it was just that kind of thing i just don't know why and then i developed a taste for the for this as well and and that taste has a lot to do with exotic objects for my eye for my vision they are exotic like stuff that i you know that i've never seen before or mm. i've or, or something that is slightly you know, people call it vintage, but uh, in my case, I don't add value to the object because it's vintage. It's just because it's telling me something, if you want right. to say so. It's calling to and you, then, right. And then, so in the same way that I really enjoy going to uh, an antique shop in Spain, I love doing that here because I find objects that are completely different and talk about a different culture. Uh, about a different history, oh, right. uh, a different country. And then if I go to China, as I, I mean, I, I was there actually uh, working on a photographic project. And I just, you know, I thought, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. All, all the kind of like crap <laughs> I would find <laughs> in all these markets. And it's just, um, it, they tell a story definitely, you know, and, they, they, and there is some kind of romantic vision <laughs> as well about those objects like someone had them and someone passed them on to someone else and yeah all that so uh i just i have when, when i started building with felt building up uh, these uh, basic shapes and learning i immediately started combining you know like i love those as yeah. well yeah. i just love those you can tell so the first one yeah, so it's not made of, this one is not made of felt, but I did this one before I started with the felt. Yeah. And I had a lot of faces like this that I got in an old shop and I just bought them because I liked them, you know, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do with them. And then I started combining these two elements and I thought, wow, this is something. And that was it. It started growing from there. Right. And it seemed like the ideas keep coming because... Uh... You recently finished a piece yes. that I really thought was cool too. The the commission that you did that's on Instagram that oh yeah that I definitely think that um, you know people should go check out and see. <laughs> you got drawn into the felting and you and these objects that um, I, I don't even now want to use the term found, but these objects that come to you or speak to you, you start coll mm -hmm. collecting those and combining those into make these sculptures. So how does that kind of go with this narrative or the storytelling that you do? Because like, what do you find interesting about the myths, divine beings of other cultures, mm -hmm. and, and the dualities of the innocence and the darkness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how does that all factor into the work, these narratives that you show? Because you see those narratives in the pieces that you do. Uh, well, all that stuff that is, that you're reading is something that I, you know, a conclusion that I got afterwards, you know, after doing stuff and after talking to people and comparing, uh, you know, different, well, not comparing, but like just uh, listening to different 
perceptions and things like that. And then I used to agree more with certain perceptions from certain people than others. And, and I started to realize about different things. And so I've always liked, it's not about liking, it's about, uh, you know, you feel driven to, to something, you know? And, and then I always found really, really more than interesting, <laughs> you know, the, the way the way people uh, use religion and their their own their own beliefs to you know to just you know to just guide their future and what they think things are gonna turn out and like for instance my my well you know Spain is very religious isn't it so yeah uh, or at least it was well um, uh, like you said it was at one point yeah <laughs> no but you can still see all that you know and it's part of the culture and so my my for instance my my auntie she's very religious and she used to collect she used to take things from my house but not stealing you know like oh are you gonna use this no okay i'm gonna and then she used to take photographs and (laughs) and objects that i had like little toys and things she used to do that with everyone Hmm. when i went i I didn't go to her house for ages years and i went back there when i was uh more like a teenager and i saw this crazy crazy kind of altar that she has in the living room oh. which has uh it's just i couldn't take a photo because i didn't have a phone at the time and i didn't have a camera but i don't know if it's still there actually but like she had objects that i was kind of missing it's like why am i missing this yeah. and those yeah yeah and those meant something for her so those objects were mixed with photos of different people that she loves and they were mixed with uh you know images of the virgin mary and images of uh, jesus and all everything was mixed so in a way she had her own you know what i mean it's it's her own faith you know she had developed right yeah through her own way you know and and all those objects have a lot of meaning for her right and no one could touch them no one and they were taking up the living room okay and I've seen many people like this in my life, you know, and maybe other people have seen them, but they thought that that person is crazy. But I used to relate to these people. I used to like, you know, all these figurines that people love. And this is, it's not just a memory of this or that place. It kind of develops its own meaning. And then, so I had a partner who uh, is Mexican as well. And he also had that kind of really, really passion for, well, the altar kind of tendency, uh, well, you know, they create altars in the day of death and all that. And they create these altars with images and with objects that mean something for them. And this, we have the same tradition in the south of Spain, Easter time. People create their own altars and they put oh. them on display on the windows. And I've always been sort of connecting all these bits and pieces. And for some reason, they made sense to me and I related to them. And then finishing with meats and all that, it fascinates me as well. Or meats and uh, the way, uh, for instance, in Japanese culture, the way they represent different ghosts, yeah, different uh, spirits, different, and 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 it's just endless. It's so meaningful for them, and I think that is amazing. Like that is just fantastic. Oh, medieval bestiaries. You know when I talk about, when I talk about uh, monstrosity and all that. Yeah. You know, it's, it was kind of a way of expressing, you know, human fears, things like that, that mm-hmm. you couldn't really express in another way. And 
it's a lot of stuff that comes together. And then so, I don't know. I mean, I could just keep talking about this, but um, it's a lot well, of, uh, there are a lot of influences. Uh, you know, it's not just one thing. So, yeah, basically through uh, uh, your life experience in, in having dealing with people who uh, put things on pedestals and, and created altars for uh, uh, Christianity. And they all, and, yeah, and then learning about other you know, other cultures and the way, the way they do the same thing, the exact yeah. same thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, obviously I have some visual uh, influences as well. A lot of visual influences. Those come from art mainly. Yeah. Or from religious representations in art, religious art, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's like in a couple of pieces, you have, you know, the halo behind them. And uh, that's a very religious prominence because, you know, as you know, in, in art history, in order for people to understand who, who Jesus was or Mary, you know, you had to make sure you had the halo above mm. their heads. Mm. And, and over time and, to, and at our time now, it's like it's more or less it's a revelance of, of purity. And, mm. and so that, I mean, that's how I interpret what when you add those things to your work. And, and that's one of the things that strike me with your work is that there is some like you're also talking about a purity. And uh, and then in, in, in other pieces of work, it's like it's really dark, but yet peaceful. And uh, it's just the way the, the little like uh, I forgot the name of it. It's like a cherub that looks like a little pig, a little cherub, but they're oh, yeah. resting very. Uh, in incubus, I called it. Yeah, well, but incubus. incubus is the name of supposed to be like spirit that comes to your visit you at night and ah. yeah, and you know do different things uh, or in different ways with different people. But one of those things is having sex with you while you sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, usually it's the bad kind that have the, that do the, the coitus. Yeah, yeah. succubus and incubus. Yeah, all that stuff kind of, I really, really, I'm really interested into also sort of, you know, occultism and all those uh well, that like pulls into the darkness, and and yeah. and, and that's what I, I you know I I understand. It's like there, there's this duality, like you said, yes. you know that you know you have this this positive, beautiful reinforcement light and and safety and things like that. But then you also have this dark side, and exactly you know, it's the dark side, mimicking mimicking kind of our human natures that we all have good exactly. sides and bad side. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how you display your work doing that is, is very uh, I like I like that approach. I like where you're going with that personally. Yes. So yeah. So uh, to kind of retouch on the, the monstrous again, you made the statement from your artist statement about an element of the monstrous has allowed artists to communicate their ideas and feelings freely. Um, is that, how did you come about with that statement? Is it just something that you kind of worked through yourself or you just noticed other people doing when they're creating work? Uh, well, I, I can tell you exactly when I started uh, realizing about uh, the way I use monstrosity because monstrosity can be cute as well monstrosity uh, can be <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just this deformities you know like evolves like I, the, I can start with this when I start when I uh, studied anatomical how do you say how do you say it? um the drawing of learning how to draw right, anatom yeah, anatomical anatomy. right like anatomical yeah. correctness yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly in animals and humans and all that and then when you learn when you come from such an academic background it's like you think wow okay i know a lot about this i am great at drawing and now what do i do with it yeah. and you find it really difficult to actually get out of the box and step out and do something with it hmm. that is too different and things like that and then so i thought that the anatomy, when if you know how it works, and, and, and then if that's the kind of work you want to do, 
is so expressive. You can express so much. You can express uh, emotions, uh, states of mind. You can express uh, an action just through the anatomy and the, the movement. And it's just so powerful. I mean, and I love it. You know, when you start using that knowledge to actually exaggerate certain things or, you know, just remove elements, remove limbs, for example. Well, that then just just think, oh, this has an impact. This is something that is expressing, it's expressing something. What is it? What it is? What it is? And then when, or, yeah. when you, as you work more and more on it, it's like you realize, well, actually, this is expressing incapability of doing something. And then so it's, this character looks so cute because it looks helpless, for instance, for example. But I don't like to rationalize all that, you know, because right. then it, it takes up. But I realized that just by, you know, or removing, for instance, like legs or whatever, it, it tells a whole different story. And mm. then so I, I realized that a lot of artists are creating like, you know, illustrators and, and all this uh, low, how do you call it? Low bro art, like sort of uh, oh, new pop surreal, low brow, yeah, 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 new pop surrealism mm -hmm. and just simply toy art and all. So everyone is kind of uh, creating like monstery, cutie things. I was like, okay, this is a trend, fine. But for me, there is something in this that, you know, it really that you plays, explore, uh, right? Uh, yeah, it's important, it's meaningful. And, and I remember I, 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 uh, I saw uh, this kind of, uh, I think it was a Facebook, uh, Facebook advert to a lecture in a university here in London. And it was called Monstrosity in Arts. Hmm. And I thought, wow, yeah, this is something. And then yeah. so from there, I started kind of, you know, researching a bit about, but for my own sake, basically. Well, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, digging into monstrous representations uh, in different parts of the history in, as I said, for instance, before, like medieval representations of beasts. Uh, there are bestiaries in a lot of different cultures. Obviously, if you go to the Bible or you go to any other kind of mythological book or stories, they all have monsters and they all come, appears in the stories for a reason. They represent different things. They represent like, you know, archetypes of you right. know, fear or uh, authoritarian something like different things. Yeah. And then so I just, that's why I mentioned that in the statement, because I definitely use that kind of monstrosity in my sculptures. Yeah. And some people consider them really, really disturbing and they don't like them, actually. Some uh, people do, some people don't. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I guess I could see that, you know, just kind of going back to what we just talked about with the duality. I mean, I'm, like you can't have all, all cake and ice cream all the time. Sometimes you got to have, you know, the sardines and black olives, you know, the kind of dark and kind of salty things. And yeah. Because that's how do you know what it, what it what it is? Um, I guess to use an abstract example, if you use Matrix and there's a scene with the the guy who becomes a bad guy, he's like, yeah, I want to be plugged back into the system because, you know, I I want to taste steak again. So it's like he all he wanted is was the good sugar poppy stuff. He didn't want to have to mm. deal with the salt and pepper. So, but he knew that there was this decision. But if you always make that thing where you always make only the you know cake and ice cream, the only thing mm. you know it starts tasting like the proverbial chicken. You know, it's like it tastes mm. like that's all you know. So for the people who don't like your work, I, I you got to deal with the, the the dark, nasty kind of aspects of, of our human nature as well. Exactly. So, yeah. You know. Starting for your own, your own, accepting it and all that. Well, exactly. I mean, obviously that's, uh, I mean, 
the shadow theory of Carl Gustav Jung and all that. Like he, uh, I also like psychology and, and hmm. psychoanalysis and all that. I don't know as much as about it as I would like to, but I'm very interested in that. And it's, it's just, um, I, th- I think when you start to have certain thoughts about yourself and then you just start learning more about that, about those, those subjects and yeah. lo- looking for more information about that. And the thing is that my drawings or my little, when I started making little pieces and all that, they always have that kind of slightly off-putting element, let's say, if you want to say so. And they just come out like that. It's not like I, I don't really plan it. It's like, oh, how can I make this look darker? <laughs> yeah. They just come out like that. And well, it's then an organic process. Yeah, it's an organic process. You just don't exactly. sit there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like, oh, I, I just thought, I think that's the most, uh, or one of the main uh, characteristics of, of my work, because it's also very subtle. I think it's subtle. I think it's not yeah. like I'm going for the monstrosity and I'm right, going you're not to put like ham- hammering it. And, right, you're not hammering over to people's yeah. head. Right, yeah. Mm. And, and I like and that. I think that's, yeah. I like that's the, the main, yeah. the most challenging thing for me because I always try to find that balance, you know, like I don't want it too much or I just want it to be just there as part of the piece and yeah. the atmosphere. But almost like you could still approach to that thing, whatever it is, and be okay. <laughs> well, right, right. Yeah. From conception to actual finishing, how long does it on average take you to make one of these sculptures? Mm. Yeah, well, it really depends on the sculpture, isn't it? Okay. Like, I mean, if it's one of those big ones, I mean, at least a couple of months. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that... uh, it depends on the period of when you are working. Sometimes you work like full on. Uh, and then also it's not like you, you're working one piece and that's it. It's like you have a few pieces. So yeah, you're working on multiple pieces at once. So it's not like you're just sitting down. Yeah, I always found Mm. that sometimes working smaller takes longer for me anyway. For me, working smaller takes much longer and it's just desperate. I just feel desperation. It's like, like this (laughs) (laughs) piece. Yeah, because it's like, also because it's so meticulous and, you know, I'm just with this bloody needle there to make a tiny piece and... (laughs) I feel like I haven't really moved forward in like five hours. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you have to, it's like very detailed, but that's, you know, kind of the inherent nature of being a creative. You just, you get inside that detail and you get into that space. Yeah. 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 It never ends. It it? never ends. More and more and more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So could you tell me about your online workshops and what they are? Oh, yeah you know, when, when you have them and uh, why do you like to teach them? I started running workshops, let's say health workshops, mm-hmm. but yes. um, in my own way. <laughs> right. So uh, that almost like personalized kind of thing. Uh, anyway, I started running them in the studio, but obviously, you know, well, because of COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's not like I want to bring anyone into my studio at this moment. So I, I started right. planning online workshops. And I literally started with the online workshops in this year, in January. And it's been great. Over Christmas, I promoted them. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I normally run them on weekends because mm-hmm. uh, I have a very kind of mess up schedule. So that gives me a <laughs> bit of structure. <laughs> Or, or you um, should say you have a very random schedule, not messed up. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, well, it really depends on what I'm doing. But yeah. uh, so. That's funny. And then, yeah, no, but the, the thing is that uh, if, if 
But anyway, it works better on weekends as well because people normally have more time and all that. Right. And and then so I have to at the moment I'm working in the different two different versions like basic and I call it just advanced. I don't know yeah, because yeah. that's what that's what people <laughs> that's what people say. Yeah, you start with basics exactly. and you get more advanced. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and then I run them for people who normally for people who like my work because that's what I find what people find about the workshops in Instagram. So normally it's people who follow my work already. So it's mostly uh, people, sometimes artists who want to learn another technique, uh, sometimes uh, art students, but this is just the experience that I have so far, but I run them for anyone really. So normally for the basic, what I I teach is that I first approach to felting and building like a basic basic structure for... uh, for a bit, small figure, and how to build the shape in a, an efficient way. Uh, also, I, I teach a bit about color blending because mm. everyone asks me about the color blending yeah. because of the way I work with the color. And it's like a first approach, basically. And they can ask me anything they want about how I do things. And it's pretty much a bit of, if you want to call it fun-based. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like it's very fun. one-on-one interactive. So it's not it's like one you on just... One. Yeah, yeah, I like that because I can... It's more personalized. I like yeah. it like that. You know, we can have a conversation and I don't want to stress out with it. I, you know, I... Yeah. <laughs> well, right, because it's not supposed to be stressful. It's supposed to be relaxing. You're, you know, exactly. You're learning I don't want to have new. like a screen for, Right. Yeah, you know, full of heads asking me questions. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I they, I don't blame yeah. you. Yeah, because <laughs> it's supposed to be fun for you as well. You know, not not. Yeah, just, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because I really like it. I mean, it's quite, it's draining. It's energy draining, but I like it. I mean, I, I do enjoy it very much. And uh, and the advance is more like similar to the other one, but we go further. So uh, what I do is I split it in two days. So one day we learn basics, and then I send them like a character design form with tips okay. so for, for them to uh, design a their piece that they want to create. Right. And right. then so based on the knowledge that they have from the first day, they design a more achievable <laughs> piece because they know how to do certain things. So they kind of, and then so they send it to me and then I take a look and then I prepare the second workshop for them. So we ah. build yeah, so we build the piece that they uh, have designed. Wow, yeah, you really are hands-on with that. That's actually kind of good. I mean, that in some cases, I wish I had teachers like that when I was, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I like it like that, actually, because I find it really interesting as well, like to yeah. see what people come up with and the way they see the felting process as well. And, and it, normally, we, don't, we never have time to finish the piece, of course, but, <laughs> no, it's like, but, it, but it doesn't matter. It's more about... And, but they finish it and they send me a photo and yeah, right. it's cool. But that's that's actually the awesome thing is that they may not be able to finish it while you're with them, quote unquote. But mm. the fact that they send you pictures afterwards means that they are invested and they they finish it. So they and they want mm. you to see it. That I think that's awesome. You know? Yeah, I really like it so far. I probably I will, uh, you know, develop it in as I go along with it. In, you know, but now it's working very well. So and, mm. and you might make a book out of it. Who knows? Right? I mean, that's just thinking ahead. Yeah. Who knows? Who yeah. knows exactly? Yeah. Uh, I really like that part of arts as well, like education and but knowing an official way, like social and like I do have, I do run third age art group as well, once per week for retired people in here in London. Yeah. yeah. And How so does I've that go? Are they, are they patient with, with the, doing the work or they're just 
not patient with yeah, some of, some of them are but it's more art in general yeah. i mean we've done we've done felt but, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and <laughs> i just love them i mean i really like the experience it's like i have to be patient i have uh, to be yeah patient. i see what you're saying yeah it's like come on you got it it's can you speed up okay okay i gotta but breathe i gotta really breathe nice. it's great yeah. I like it. <laughs> so with with that being said this is the perfect segue for this question uh what advice would you give your past self and to other artists oh loads yeah. but probably yeah. i wouldn't listen to myself when i was younger so you know <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> yeah i've heard that one before you're right i don't know if i would either <laughs> if i had any advice for my past self well i would have looked after my mental health more Mm. when I was younger, that would have helped a lot. Yeah. Well, mm. and, and would you just say the same thing to other artists about that or? Yes, I would. Like just yeah. take care of yourself mentally. <laughs> yeah. Because since I started doing that, everything like changed <laughs> so much. Yeah. It's just like you become that leaf floating down the river opposed to trying to, to stop flowing. Yeah. I got you. Mm -hmm. I got you. So I think that's a good one. to thank Marta, aka Maymay, for taking the time to do the interview. If you want to learn more about her work and classes, head on over to her website at houseofmaymay.com, and that's spelled H-O-U-S-E-O-F-M-E-I-M-E-I. -E -E or you can go to her Instagram page at Maymay Lab. To hear past episodes of Artbox DNV, go to the website at artboxdnv.com. And don't forget, Artbox is also on Instagram at our box DNV. Until next time, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.